You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh, and she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's The Nicole Sandler Show. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Governor DeSantis and his family are on vacation, and we at his office don't understand what the big deal is about that. He has a family. You know, he's got kids, and his kids like to bury him in the sand to where he just his his nipples are, <laughs> are poking out, and they like to call him Governor DeSantis. Now, tell me that's not funny. <laughs> now, that's comedy. He doesn't have COVID. So why did you no. bring, why am I bringing it up? Because he mm-hmm. doesn't have it. You know, people say that Florida did the worst out of every state during the pandemic. But if that's true, then tell me why people are coming to Florida during the pandemic. I'll tell you why. It's because in Florida, Governor DeSantis, is, he, he lifts people up to heaven. <laughs> and that's why people come to Florida. That's why people come to Florida. Yeah, that is um, Blair Erskine, who we haven't heard from in a while. And I think it's because she got a job working as a writer, I think, for Jimmy Kimmel. But she's funny. And that was, I don't know, from sometime last year when, um, or or even earlier, when DeSantis was sort of missing in action. And the word was that he got COVID, but he didn't want to admit it. And I believe he did. Ugh. And we know what happened last night, don't we? Oh my goodness, it was classic. Now I was busy sharing a bit of uh, of emotion here on the show because I read this article that had been written by X Gonzalez. Um, and um, yeah, it, 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 tying together Florida with yesterday's first anniversary of the Valdi um, mass murders there in Texas. And of course, today is the third anniversary of George Floyd's killing by police. You know, it's just every day there's something. But anyway, so yesterday was the big announcement. The big announcement of Ron DeSantis running for president. And that's, you know, the the launch of a presidential campaign is is something that is usually really well planned, um, you know, and, and it's supposed to garner a lot of media attention. That's why when the, the announcement was that Governor Death Sentence was going to launch his presidential campaign with an event on Twitter spaces, there was a collective, what? It, and... Look, and I've tried to come up with a better analogy since I first said it a few days ago, that what Twitter spaces is, is like the old party lines. You know, back in the olden days, before my time, because I'm not quite that old, when, when telephones were just hitting homes, we didn't all have our own individual phone line, there were party lines. So when you picked up the phone, what it could have been one of the neighbors with whom you shared the line. And you could listen in on their conversation or participate. 
right? He had no control over it. So anyway, that's that's what the um, that's what this is. It was weird when I heard they were rolling out something called Twitter Spaces because it's audio only, and it just seems like it's going in the wrong direction. Look, I'm I'm old and I'm a radio person, so I at first was intrigued by it. And then I thought, why are they doing an audio only thing in this day and age of video? Well, apparently a lot of other people had the same question because people don't know what Twitter spaces is, but apparently a few went over there. Now, if you're hearing the excuse, which is what they're rolling out today, that, oh, simply we broke the internet. There were so many people. Well, that's just bullshit. It's bullshit. It's just not true because at the height when the servers were crashing, there were still under 750,000 people on there, not even a million. And, um, you know, frankly, there have been um, online events with many more people than tried to get onto this DeSantis thing last night, and and there was no problem. So I'm guessing it's like Elmo maybe shouldn't have fired thousands of people before he attempted to do an event like this. But, you know, what do I know? Anyway, so my show ran over a little bit last night because I was reading to you that piece from X Gonzalez. And then when I attempted to go over to Twitter, I couldn't find the spaces and I just figured, all right, well, I guess it's over. Well, but it wasn't because there were delays. So if you tuned in, if you went on Twitter spaces last night at six o'clock Eastern, well, here's what you heard. Speaking of whoops, that's that's not it. Hold on. That was the wrong thing. Whoops. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. Okay. This is it. Is Which is the first one? Which is the second one? My goodness. You can't take me anywhere. Hold on. I, I need to make sure I'm playing the right one because I have two clips here. So the first one. La, 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 la. Okay. This is the first one. It's the 43 second one. Here we go. Okay. So this was the first thing you heard when eventually there was some sound coming out. What? Ouch. Now it's quiet. Now it's that that whisper voice you heard saying, now it's quiet. That was DeSantis. <laughs> How awesome is that? So obviously my gremlins went over to uh to to hear what was going on. So there was that bit of feedback, the noise that ah hurts your ears. It's like, oh, what is that? And then you hear DeSantis. Now it's quiet. Now it's quiet. And then, okay, something. All right. All right. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, everyone, depending on wherever in the world you're joining us from. I'm broadcasting live from David from Twitter headquarters. It's David Sachs here. Uh, Elon is sitting next to me. And we want to welcome you to this historic Twitter Spaces event and more broadly, a first in the history of social media. Yeah. Uh, tonight, I'm pleased to introduce two individuals who've done more to loosen the group. Uh-oh. So for, they, they, they had the noise, the feedback stuff. And it went for like 40 seconds or so and then cut to dead air. And that kept happening. It kept going. And now, frankly, I only know this because as I crawled into bed last night at around midnight, um, Alex Wagner was coming on MSNBC and she replayed this. So, so here's after that first 43 second spurt of noise um, and then dead air. Here's, well, she explains what happened next. I think. This was Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign launch. Ouch. And for 21 long minutes, it was mainly minutes. just this. All right. Sorry about that. We, we've got so many people here that I think we are. We are uh, kind of melting the servers, Bullshit. Uh, which is a good sign. Let's see. So Not true. We yeah, I think so. Um, just to simplify this. Uh-oh. I think we're just going to use your... Oh, 
There's 382,000 people, Lauren. Ouch. All right, great. So let's see. So they just keep crashing, huh? So it keeps crashing. Yeah. So, so I'm just going to interrupt for a second here because, look, I've got a little bit of sympathy as one who deals with gremlins in my studio every day. You know what? I have no sympathy. They have all the money in the world. They can afford the best engineers. I'm sitting here in my studio with my new computer and spit and chewing gum trying to hold the whole thing together and make it work all by myself. They have, well, Elon Musk's money. This shouldn't be happening. This is an embarrassment. But then again, this is Ron DeSantis. Oh, let's get back to it. We've got a, just a massive number of people online, so it's um, <laughs> servers are straining somewhat. No, um, that's not it at all. Again, when they had the most people ever on this stream, on this Twitter spaces, it was still under 750,000 people. Um, yeah, that would be a lot for my show. But for a presidential campaign launch, a history-making presidential campaign launch, they should have had every damn engineer on staff and then some standing by. There is no excuse at all for this circus to have happened yesterday. But, oh, let's keep listening. I think we're back online here. Oh, God. Um, All right. Well, it's certainly uh, an an incredible honor to uh, have Governor DeSantis uh, make this uh, stark announcement. (laughs) And then this music, if you can call it that, comes in. False start after false start after false start after false start for 21 long minutes. And as for that hype that it was so many people that was melting the servers... It was barely more than tuned in to watch Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez play the video game Among Us on a random night in 2020 on the platform Twitch. Mm -hmm. But, you know, servers are melting down. That's how popular (laughs) Governor DeSantis is. Can you believe the excitement? Just a brutal start to a presidential campaign. Truly unprecedented. Oh, and don't we feel bad for them? No. Not at all. Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Oh, I've got more to share with you, but let's um, um, uh, welcome to the show. It is Thursday. Uh, It's Friday Eve and it's the Friday Eve before a holiday weekend. So Monday is Memorial Day. So I'm telling you right now, I'm going to take the day off Monday as I tend to do on Memorial Day. And what I try to do is provide you with your musical soundtrack for your Memorial Day celebration. Hopefully you can barbecue on Monday because that's what people do on Memorial Day, right? Shop for mattresses. Why? I don't know, but they do. And because there are sales and you barbecue and you need good music to play. So I put together a Memorial Day musical salute to those who are, we remember in Memorial. And uh, so that will be the show on Monday. It'll be a music uh, show. It will not be on YouTube because if it is, I'd get copyright violated and that would not be a good thing. So on Monday, you listen to the audio. I'll have it posted uh, on the website at NicoleSandler.com. And um, uh, of course, it'll be on Progressive Voices. You, you know the drill. Um and if you get the podcast, I'll try to put it out early, excuse me, so that, you know, you can have your, uh, your, your, your soundtrack to the, to, the, to the barbecue festivities. Hello, Robert Naples. Ciao. Hey, how you doing, Nicole? Uh, doing Listen, okay. I, yeah. I am cracking up. I'm, you know, I'm glad you have a, a, a bubbly personality because I was going to call in and say, it sounded like you were the engineer, but I get it. You don't have the resources. As, uh, as, exactly. You know, they had all the money yeah. in the world. There's no excuse for them. For me, I'm broke. I do it all myself. Nicole, the guy prides himself in launching rockets into the space. <laughs> he can't launch a governor that sucks on his on his shitty platform. Yep. I mean, if you think if you think about it, though, the more insulting thing is is that DeSantis 
he can't go outside in public anymore. Why? Because he's afraid of the Trumpers themselves because they're, they're going to harass him. They're going to ask him questions or, or, you know, and, you know, cat call him and all that stuff like that. And he can't, he's got to work in a controlled environment. And mm-hmm. that's why he went, it's why he went in a little studio on a phone with a, with a, with a, I can't stand that guy. Hey, <laughs> on. And, and, and he can't, he can't go public. He, he's really, and he, the other thing is it also shows who he's owned, who owns him. He, he, he has to go to Elon. He, he's got to go kiss the ring. He's yep. the godfather. Now. Yep. He's the maker. And, and you know what? I believe to the, I believe it was all saboteured. You know, I believe this was all done on purpose. I oh, think, really? Uh, you know, <clears throat> oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. Who does this? Who does Elon really want? He wants Russia and Trump to work together. He wants. He, he he likes that arrangement. So you know, DeSantis was a fool to go there in the beginning, but you know he he did, and and this is what he's got. And now for all and forever, he'll always be remembered as the guy who couldn't get off the you know the launching pad without right? you know, looking like a fool. Failure to yeah. launch. Yes, that that yeah, failure. Yeah, Tallahassee, we're, we're in trouble, wasn't it? That's right. Houston, we have a problem. Tallahassee, <laughs> there's many problems. Big time. All right. Thank you for letting All right. me play with you. Uh, take Ciao. care, Robert. Take take care. Bye-bye. Um, so, yeah, um, somebody just asked, is, is Don Siegelman going to be on today? Yes. Former governor of Alabama will be along in about 15 minutes or so, and I'll explain all about that in just a few minutes. Uh, but before I get back to the news of the day and uh, – <laughs> <laughs> just the laughable launch of DeSantis's presidential campaign. Oh, uh, to be a fly on the wall last night as this thing was going to hell and watching them putting lipstick on the pig. That is DeSantis. Oh my God. Oh, to only, you know, but we can imagine it. And that's almost, almost as much fun. You know, he was pissed and you know, Casey, who's his wife. She's, she's, Look, if you think Ron is bad, check out Casey DeSantis. Oh, I'll show you something in a few minutes. I'll show you why I d- despise that woman. But uh, first, let me let me get this in now while I do, because I tend to go on and I, uh, you know, I uh, our sponsors get the short end of the stick here. So I want to make sure that today I tell you about because yesterday I know I heard I heard from a few of you last night who were worried. Look, I'm an emotional person. And I also suffer from depression. I have since adolescence. And it's been a struggle on and off for many, many years. Um, and, you know, I've been going through a rough patch. I go, I go through these spells. And anybody who's suffered from depression for even a fraction of the amount of time that I have, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I say I get, get into a spiral, well, I've been in this spiral for about three weeks now, and I have a couple of you know moments of clarity when before I, I hit you know bottom again. And yesterday, reading that article written by Ex Gonzalez and remembering back to the the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting and Uvalde, which was a year to the day uh, uh, from yesterday, um, and and seeing what this idiot of a governor is doing to the new college in Sarasota, where Ex Gonzalez graduated from, just and remembering that trauma, it, it got to me. And you know, sometimes you, you can't hold back the tears. Well, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason, isn't that what they say? And I was presented with another sponsorship opportunity for the program by this company called BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers therapy in a non-traditional way. They do it over the internet. So what happens is when you go to BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash Nicole Sandler, be sure to use the slash Nicole Sandler so they know I sent you. You can read all about the program and how they, how they offer help and how they match you up with a therapist. So you get this questionnaire to answer and you, you do it honestly and then within a day, they will, you'll, you'll get matched with a therapist. You make an appointment and then you meet this person. You can either do it on telephone. You could do a video conference. You could do it over a chat. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But it's basically what's convenient for you. If you think it's not a good match, you don't really like that therapist, 
that's okay. You go back and say, let's try somebody else. And they will keep matching you until you find the person that you feel you're most compatible with. And then you do your therapy. It's a, it's a different way to approach an old problem. I'm now two sessions in. I really like my therapist. I think she's great. And again, the timing is perfect. So, you know, sometimes you need help. So if you do, I don't know what you're waiting for. Visit betterhelp.com slash Nicole Sandler today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Nicole Sandler. Um, and, you know, sometimes you even need a little more help. So I'm doing that, but I actually, and this is not part of the commercial anymore, um, I, I, you know, I've told you about this, that a couple of years ago, I went in for, I tried TMS, a transmagnetic stimulation, I think it's called, I think is what TMS stands for. And it's a magnet where they target a spot. It's actually on this side um, in your brain. They do an MRI to find the exact spot and they use a magnet and they do a tapping thing. And it's a, it's a program that goes about six weeks and you go in every day for, depending on what your treatment is, six to 20 minute sessions where this magnet taps this spot in your head. And when I was going through it, I'm thinking this isn't working. This is, this is nonsense. This is just crazy. Um, and, um, but after a while, I went through the whole thing, thought I may as well do it. I'm doing it. I didn't think I was getting anything out of it. And then a couple of months after I finished treatment, I realized that I hadn't had a meltdown in a while. So it's, you know, it's hard to find when you're looking for the absence of something. But I realized that I di- wasn't really, I, I, I was doing much better than I had been. And it held for a while, like for a couple of years, until a few months ago, because things are getting really bad again. And I'm having a more and more difficult time um, trying to get a handle on it. I'm trying to, you know, um, to do it. So I thought about going back in for another round of TMS. However, there's a new player in the field. And so um, uh, ketamine therapy, and I've been reading about it for the longest time. Now, look, I'm someone who's wanted to try ayahuasca, and I've obviously not had the opportunity to do so. Presented with it, I'd probably do it. But the next best thing, what we're hearing, and for years I've been reading about research into psychedelics for depression. And sure enough, the first thing that they're, the first drug that they've been really exploring and clearing for treating depression is ketamine. Hernan's asking, have I tried clonopin? Yeah, clonopin's bad shit. That stuff gets me, knocks me out, and I'm hungover for days. I won't do clonopin. Um, And that's just like a downer, right? So ketamine is a psychedelic. I, You know, for an old druggie like me, you trip on it. But in this case, it's administered in a therapeutic setting. You have to do it in the doctor's office. You go in, you get the treatment. There are two ways they do it. One is a, one is a um, infusion. It's like an IV. The other, what I'm going to be doing, is a nasal spray. And you go into the office, you you do the, the the nasal spray, and then you're there for a couple of hours. Apparently, you're in a nice, comfortable room, and you have um, uh, they give you. Uh, um, you know, you can listen to music or do whatever, and and you get get a journal and you you keep track of what happens. So anyway, this is my long winded way of saying I'm going to go through it, and they do recommend that you do it with a therapist so that you can talk with the therapist about the things that come up during your treatment. So. Yeah. So if if anything happens, you know you're there and under a doctor's care, and you know, you get the therapeutic value out of it. So anyway, I will let you know, I've been reading a lot about it and um, we'll give it a shot and I will, I will keep you guys posted on it. 
But yeah, so I'm excited about that. All right. So we're going through the whole thing with DeSantis and I'm watching the rollout of his presidential campaign and and wondering why. This is a guy who, you know, six years ago was a backbencher in Congress. None of us heard of him. Look, I lived here in Florida and I still didn't know who he was until, um, you know, until Trump started touting him for governor. And so, uh, you know, and, and the more I learned about him, the more disgusted I got. And then he wins the governor's office and I'm watching him put his brand of fascism on the state, all the while calling it the free state of Florida. There's nothing free about what he's pushing. This is the fascist state of Florida. That man is nothing short of a fascist. And everything he's doing from a six-week ban on abortion, I'm sorry, most women do not even know they're pregnant at six weeks. Um, If you disagree with his stance on anything, you're the enemy. Do you remind you of somebody? The orange guy? Right. So so um, Ron DeSantis has a vendetta against Disney. You know why? Because the the then chair of Disney disagreed with his don't say gay law that basically limits teachers, tells teachers that they cannot talk to students kindergarten through third grade about sexuality, about gender, about... So, for instance, if, if the teacher, say, uh, say Mrs. Jones, is married to a woman, she can't have a picture on her desk of her family. Because, God forbid, a child could say, who is that in the picture with you? And she would have to say, well, that's my wife. She's not allowed to. So if that wasn't bad enough, and you're thinking third grade, third grade, you're like, you know, 10 years old. By the time kids are 10 years old, they know people who are gay. Could be their parents could be of the same sex. Could be, you know, the friend down the street. Johnny has two mommies or two daddies or whatever. They can't talk about it in school. Well, when you can't talk about something in school, kids try to find out what they are prohibited from talking about in school. And chances are what they're going to find on the street or now on the internet is going to be wrong. That's what they're setting kids up for here in Florida under Ron DeSantis. Now, it's not bad enough that it was through third grade. In this legislative session that just wrapped up, they extended it. Not to eighth grade, which is what they were talking about first, but through 12th grade. K through 12, you're not allowed. It's the don't say gay bill that's now law throughout Florida's public school system. Not only that, if you're a girl, you can't talk about having your period. They're they're making biology dirty. Um, this is taking us in the exact wrong direction direction. And all I can think about is, and this guy thinks that makes him qualified to be president? All the while he looks in the camera, he calls it the free state of Florida. Florida, where woke goes to die. Well, who who died and made you president? Nobody. Or dictator. Certainly nobody. Yet, or <laughs> given what happened last night, ever. Um, And I'm thinking, how does somebody get an ego this outsized, somebody like Ron DeSantis, who honestly has never done anything worthwhile in his life, everything about his history is a lie, and yet his ego is so outsized that he's running for president? I'm astounded. And then I think about the really good governors that have been in office around this country. We've had a couple here in Florida. We had one, Bob Graham, who did run for president. Sadly, he didn't win. He would have been great because he was a good governor. In Alabama, some years ago, there was a really good governor 
And for all his trouble, he was targeted by an earlier incarnation of this Republican Party that uh, some will tell you is nowhere near as horrific as the current Republican Party. But I'm guessing if you're Don Siegelman, you might disagree with that because Don Siegelman, who was governor of Alabama, was um, targeted, was set up, was prosecuted and persecuted by uh, factions from the George W. Bush administration, including Karl Rove, who took it overboard and actually wound up getting uh, getting Don Siegelman um, prosecuted and arrested to where he spent a ridiculous amount of time in jail for something for no, for doing nothing wrong. Uh, this is because I don't know. This is because our system is screwed up. Don Siegelman is back today. We've we've spoken a number of times over the years, and um, he's always welcome on this show. He wrote about his ordeal. Um, in his book called Stealing Democracy that is still available and you should read it. Everybody needs to know Don Siegelman's story. But the reason he's joining us today is not because of any of that. It's because he wrote an op-ed that was in the, Wall- uh, in the Washington Post on, I think it was it was Monday or Tuesday. Hi, Don. Uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Governor Siegelman. Was it? It was a Monday or Tuesday. Which day was it in the Washington Post? Uh, it was. It was. It was Monday. It was and, Monday. Uh, thank you very much. It, it's a pleasure to be back here with you, Nicole. It's always fun to listen to you. You get me fired up, <laughs> and uh, you know, talking about you. You know, Alabama used to look bad until y'all elected Ron. I call him Ron DeSenseless um, because most of what he proposes makes no sense, but it makes it makes sense to the far right, which is what what he is appealing to. He doesn't want anybody to take one single far right vote from him, so he is going to as far to the right as he possibly can, um, and. My my Washington Post uh, op-ed was uh, co-authored by a Republican, and um, but you know it was our our feeling, and I'm going to get back to Ron DeSenseless in just a minute. But it was our feeling that Alabama had uh, there were two troubling aspects of our death penalty laws that were both morally and legally troubling. One, Alabama. Uh, had 31 has 31 people on death row who were sentenced under something called judicial override, where a judge, rather than a jury, makes the decision that the person is going to die. Secondly, we have 115 people on death row based on non-unanimous jury recommendations. Well, it was Donald Trump's far-right cons- uh, conservative Supreme Court, including Kavanaugh, who. Uh, issued an opinion in 2020 that said that non-unanimous juries could not convict someone of capital murder uh, because it would result in death. So it had to be a unanimous verdict. This is by Trump's Supreme Court. And then they traced it to an 1870 Jim Crow law. So Alabama has 115 people on death row based on a relic of the of the of the Reconstruction era, the Jim Crow era, and we thought we were the only state that would stoop that low to and 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 I mean in in 2023, it's almost insanity to think that we are we will be executing people based on a relic of the Jim Crow era, right? But. Alabama Nicole was outdone by Ron DeSenseless. He he wanted to appeal to even Alabama requires a ten to two verdict by the, by a jury to put somebody to death. Every other state requires a unanimous verdict. Until Ron DeSenseless came up with his own own uh, formula, where now in Florida it only takes eight out of twelve jurors. To, to take somebody's life. Well, that's what it I might- wanted to ask you about, because so this happened in the wake of the Parkland 
killings, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shootings, which is 10 minutes from where I'm sitting, Don. It's, it, it's, this was my neighborhood. I live in Coral Springs. Parkland is next door. It's our, and kids from Coral Springs go to school there. Kids from Parkland go to school in the Coral Springs schools. We share a fire department and a police department. So this was our community. And um, yesterday I shared uh, an essay written by one of the survivors of that killing of that mass murder attack um, who we got to know in the wake of the shootings. And part of this essay that they wrote was the disappointment in the fact that um, uh, nine of the jurors, nine of the 12 jurors voted for the death penalty for this killer, whose name I don't say. Um, Three did not. In Florida, as in most of the nation, in order to put someone to death, it's got to be unanimous. Um, I get that. I also get the anger on behalf of X and and the other survivors and everybody else who was associated, who was impacted by this mass murder. Uh, the disappointment that the shooter was not being put to death because an animal like that doesn't deserve to live. And again, when you're this close to it, you look, uh, my daughter, thankfully, was not at that school. She went to a different school. But the year before the shooting, she was in what's known as the off-campus learning center, working out her final uh, couple of credits she needed to graduate. She was in the room sitting next to this shooter. So we came this close, and and every time I think about it, I I I, I hurt. I I I get a visceral reaction because my daughter was in proximity to this animal who killed seventeen people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and seriously injured another seventeen. Um, I don't think that animal should be living. That said, I'm with you. I think the death penalty is, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. We'll find out what you think about the death penalty in a moment. (laughs) I don't agree with it, but when it hits this close to home, yeah, I don't want that thing to live. But that's not um, reasonable. You know, that's that's visceral. That's because it it, it hits so close. But, you know, for Ron DeSantis to say, well, since you didn't kill the guy that I wanted killed, we're going to make the law lighter so that now you 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 don't need a unanimous um vote to 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 kill somebody eight out of 12 is good enough so that the parkland shooter would have been put to death um that's going in the wrong direction isn't it or is that what you think uh well i think you know regardless of how you feel about the death penalty and there are a lot of people who uh because of you know the the horrific you know, murders that they've seen or heard about, you know, feel strongly that the death penalty should be in play. But, you know, we, we want to make sure that we, if you if you believe in the death penalty, and if you want to be the, you know, want someone's life, um, you want to take someone's life for a life, um, then at least we ought to be sure that we're executing, uh, that we're killing the right person. Absolutely. That we're not killing somebody who's innocent. And the, the facts uh, from the from studies since 1976 indicate that we get it wrong about 12 percent of the time. Let me let me explain. The Death Penalty Information Center did a study starting back in February of 2021 that showed that since 1976, when the death penalty was reinstituted, for every 8.3 people executed, at least one has been exonerated. That's over 12%. So, so, you know, what Ron DeSenseless is doing is making, he's going to make that average even higher. So, and we're not talking about, you know, this horrific killing in Florida, you know, um, but there, there are many, many instances around the country, and I personally experienced at least one while I was governor. Um, and I wrote about it in the in the Washington Post. Uh, you know, this there was a person executed during my term as governor in, in March of 2020. I'm sorry, March of uh, 2000. And 
Now, 23 years later, you know, I'm able to examine all of the facts, all the evidence, um, all of the testimony, uh, the, and I am absolutely convinced that this man was wrongfully targeted, wrongfully charged, wrongfully prosecuted, wrongfully convicted, and wrongfully executed. Had I known 23 years ago as governor that the prosecutor was hiding evidence from the defense, um, I would have I would have commuted this person's sentence. But the problem that governors have all across the country is that we don't, for when clemency appeals are made, they're usually made in the last day or two before a person is executed. Usually there is a Supreme Court case pending and the governor and the attorney general are waiting to hear from the Supreme Court. But what we need to be doing is accumulating independently all of the evidence, all of the testimony from every every aspect uh, of every case so that when the when governors are presented with this petition for clemency, they have all of this information available to them. For instance, in this case in 2000, uh, the, the, the man who was killed was Freddie Lee Wright, but he wasn't the first person who was charged with the killing. Uh, there was another person who was charged earlier whose gun was matched with the crime scene. Hmm. That evidence that evidence was hidden from the defense, so they couldn't present it. They didn't know about it. They didn't present it to the jury. And what I'm saying is if all of the evidence had been presented to the jury in this situation, he might have been convicted, but he wouldn't have been convicted of capital murder. So we need to make, if you, regardless of how you feel about the death penalty, if we're going to do it, let's let's at least try to execute the right person. Right. The second thing, the second point I'd like to make, Nicole, before I finish and lose my, my thought, the uh, <clears throat> Death Penalty Information Center also came out with two other statistics. Of so those people who were exonerated, 80% of the exonerations are based on prosecutorial or police misconduct. Mm -hmm. um, investigators who pressure a witness to lie or prosecutors who hide evidence, 80% um, are based on wrongful conduct. Secondly, of those people exonerated, 89% are, are, are black people. So it means that prosecutors not only have been using wrongful means to target people, they have been you know, targeting black people at a rate that's disproportionate to their position in the population. So it, it just smells bad. Right. Uh, you know, Governor Siegelman, I got to ask you that, you know, hearing how prosecutors will hide exculpatory information, it just it, that goes against everything they're supposed to be there for. Don't they? Uh, uh, maybe I'm naive, but I would think they'd want to make sure they got the right person. It seems like in in many cases, unfortunately, it doesn't matter that they get the right person as long as they get somebody. Is that too prevalent in, in law enforcement circles? Well, let me just a brief uh, recount of history. In, in the 70s and 80s, when the war on crime and the war on drugs was, the drums were being beaten, uh, Congress and state legislators and prosecutors took to this task uh, with uh, political zeal. And when the Supreme Court in 1976 uh, gave prosecutors total immunity from civil liability, meaning that they could willfully and knowingly present false evidence and false testimony or withhold exculpatory evidence to get a, an indictment or a conviction, uh, their, uh, the percentage of indictments jumped up to 99%, and the number of people in prison went from around 200,000 to almost 2 million. Wow. So, but to, but to underscore just how cavalierly Americans have accepted this attitude that prosecutors can't be held responsible for what they do, 
even under the Obama administration, even with Elena Kagan as Solicitor General, the Solicitor General's deputy argued to the United States Supreme Court on January the 4th, 2010, that United States citizens do not have a constitutional right not to be framed. That is astounding. Uh, I, I read that in, in one of the pieces you sent me. I just, how can that be? How, how, well, can, how can that be? Well, it can be because the Supreme Court said that prosecutors can do whatever they want to get a conviction. Wow. So she was just emphasizing that, that the law in this case, that the, that the two black men who were arrested as teenagers, who spent 25 years in prison, did not have any any right to any uh, uh, compensatory damages, any monetary damages for spending 25 years in their prison in prison for a crime that they clearly did not commit. It's interesting to note in this case, uh, the investigators, the police investigators, uh, followed the followed the crime scene and it led to a friend of the police department. So instead of arresting that white defendant, that white person who was with, to whom the uh, trail led, they convinced a young African-American, young black man who was caught at a, uh, in, in a car lot or something where they suspected he was stealing cars, convinced him that, uh, that he should point the finger at, um, at these two, uh, these two other a black gentleman who spent 25 years in prison. I just noted that my battery says uh, my phone battery is getting low and Ooh. I don't have it on a charger. So uh, I'm going to let you maybe wrap this thing up. Okay. Well, if I lose you, I'll know that's what happened. But I got to ask, so the, the person you wrote this op-ed with was another governor from Alabama, Governor, uh, former Governor Robert Bentley, a Republican, who also who left office under not the best circumstances. How did you guys get together to do this? Well, um, I he is he had always been kind to me, as personally kind, and so when I had a draft of this uh, op-ed, and I, I went down to see him, see Governor Bentley, and. We talked about our experiences as governor, and um, you know, I told him that they troubled me, and he said they troubled him as well, and that he he prayed over every execution. And you know, uh, we had a, there was a lot of commonality, and so we agreed to uh, put this thing together jointly. And uh, I was grateful that he did, and he was grateful that I did. Um, and hopefully it will make a difference, not not just in Alabama, but as you can see, uh, with the Supreme Court decision in 1976, um, with Elena Kagan's uh, deputy statement in 2010, uh, with the fact that we have grand juries that are secret proceedings where there is no lawyer or judge there to oversee what prosecutors are doing, there's no requirement. That, uh, that a prosecutor present the body cam video showing that a police officer shot somebody in cold blood, for example. Um, as long as grand juries are secret, as long as victims and targets are, do not have a right to be present in the grand jury as a check on truth, then Congress needs to step in and rein in this the immunity from prosecutors so they don't feel like they have a free hand to do whatever they want to get to convict anyone they want for whatever crime they envision. So I, I agree with you 100 percent. I'm I'm astounded to hear this because I thought the goal of law enforcement was to make sure not just to get a conviction, but to make sure you're convicting the right person. Now, what I'm hearing from you is that's not it at all. The prosecutor's office wants convictions and they don't really seem to care who they get as long as they get a win on the books. Uh, and the same thing for the death penalty. When I hear about um you know, th that th the information is there to clear a person and yet a judge won't reverse the decision or something because uh, because the, the trial was, you know, that that's that's the, the verdict they came up with. You would think all measures would be taken to make sure that somebody innocent is not put to death. But that doesn't happen, does it? 
Well, yeah, then you hit on something, and that is uh, evidence that is, quote, time barred. Um, in other words, after the trial or after the appeal, uh, evidence is discovered that the person that has been accused and convicted of murder wasn't the person who committed the murder. Right. Well, that, that person is prohibited from getting that evidence introduced. That's why it's so important that we collect this evidence, uh, even if it's time barred, and make sure that it's available to governors so that when there is an opportunity to commute this person's sentence, they are able to do that and explain why. Uh, I, I, it seems like we need a whole overhaul of our criminal justice system. I've said it for a long time, but what you're saying today and what you write in this op-ed that was in the Washington Post on Monday, uh, it, it gives even more ammunition for that fight. Uh, unfortunately, it seems that, that we're fighting for the rule of law to make sure that, you know, people who tried to overthrow the government on January 6, 2021, are prosecuted. Instead, we've got both the former guy who is the, the, the de facto incumbent Republican leader and DeSantis, or as I call him, death sentence. Um, today, he said he said that he would seriously consider pardoning all of these January 6th insurrectionists. You know what? To, does that include today? Um, the guy, the head of the uh, Oath Keepers was sentenced to 18 years. Thank goodness. Finally, somebody is being, you know, m made to pay the price for the crime they did. But uh, these people would let them off. There's something. Well, off here. Uh, yeah, there's, there's uh, yeah, that's uh, well. Your governor is 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 making uh, George Wallace and Donald Trump look like saints. Right. Um, he he's doing everything. I mean, I I never thought you know being from Alabama, I thought I could never forgive George Wallace for you know, and I I I can't uh, for for what happened during his administration, uh, but. Uh, the governor of Florida is is going well beyond the the, the bounds of, uh, of morality to try to appeal for votes. It's uh, it's really sickening. It really is uh, to the point where we're uh, I'm packing. We're getting ready to leave Florida. Uh, I can't wait to get out of here because this is not a safe place to be. And, you know, the NAACP and LGBTQ groups are putting travel advisories for the state, saying if you're a person of color. If you're gay, uh, you're lesbian, trans, don't come here. You're not safe. And I agree with them 100%. Not well, a good you, place. Uh, it, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a free thinker and, and uh, you're, not, you know, you're, not, you're not safe there either. No, nobody is safe here. And I can't understand how anybody who is a kid still in school would not have pulled them out by now because they're pulling books off the shelves. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime, but here it is. History does repeat itself. And if we don't learn the lessons from those who came before us, then we're bound to repeat their worst mistakes. And we're doing it right now. Don Siegelman, um, thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you for writing this op-ed. It gave me a different perspective as I've been looking at the the situation here with the Parkland shooter. Uh, it's, it's possible to be conflicted on this, not believe in the death penalty, um, but still want someone who came too close to, to hurting people that you love uh, to know that there is no justice for that person. It's, it's complicated. But what's not complicated is making sure that we don't punish innocent people. And if anybody knows that, it's you. Well, let me, let me throw out a plug here, too, for uh, people who want to learn about the justice system and, and what, how it can be manipulated. There's a, a, a documentary that was made about my case called Atticus versus the Architect. It'll, yeah, I think it costs three ninety nine on uh, on Amazon. But I would I would recommend if if you're if you can't don't have the money for movie night, you know, uh, rent this documentary Atticus versus the Architect. Uh, if you want to hear me tell my story. Um, Go to go to Amazon, get the audible book, uh, Stealing Our Democracy. But just if you want to just listen to the last few chapters where I talk about 
what needs to be done to fix our our justice system. You know, to fix our criminal justice system, we need to start with early childhood education, parental education, uh, drug and mental health counseling. You know, there's a litany of things that we must do as a country to fix what's wrong. So, uh, Nicole, thank you for trying to fix it all. And I enjoyed being with you again today. Thank you so much. It's always great to talk with you, Governor. Don Siegelman, his website is donsiegelman.org. You can get all this stuff there as well. And where I post today's show, maybe I'll pull out one of the interviews we did around the time your book was released when we do tell the whole story. Because people need to know your story. Because what was done to you has to never happen again. I'm still mad at Obama for, for not pardoning you and getting you out of there. So um, <laughs> I hold a grudge after all these years. Uh, Don Siegelman, it's great to see you. Thank you for sending this op-ed to me. I, I was happy to share it with the listeners and even happier to talk to you again. Well, let's talk again. I hope Thank so. you so much. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Don Siegelman, Bye. former governor of Alabama, a man who was a political prisoner in this country, persecuted and prosecuted by Karl Rove and the, you know, the bad people who um, shouldn't be bad. If you're if you're working at that high levels of government, I want to believe that you're out to do good for the country. And unfortunately, that's not the reality we live in right now. So all the more reason to make sure you know who your candidates are, make sure you're registered to vote, make sure we don't put people like that in power again. And now we need to take back the House and get these numb nuts out of there. Did you hear what happened yesterday with Marjorie Q. Green? I, I just got to play this. So I did tell you the good news about um, uh, uh, the... Uh, um, the the Oath Keepers guy being sentenced to 18 years. Hold on. I pulled video. Um, let me see if I can find it. Ah, no, I don't know where it is. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Because basically what happened was now that, the, you know, the Republicans control the House of Representatives. So their members get to, um, you know, sit at the speaker's desk and have the gavel when the House is in session. And I guess it was yesterday, uh, Marge tried to gavel the House to order, and they were having none of it. And so Steve Scalise speaks. He's like, oh, we need decorum in here. We need decorum in here. And uh, there was still still no decorum coming. So... um, all right, I found it. All right, so I'm just going to play for you the video because this is just priceless. Priceless. So Steve Scalise says, decorum, we need decorum. And then, um, well, here. <laughs> Let me bring it up for you. Come on, Steve, give us the decorum. I ask that the house be in order and there be some decorum on the other side. Okay, now Marge is going to call for decorum. Come on, Marge. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. (laughs) And the entire chamber devolves into a fit of laughter because Marge Q. Green calling for decorum in the House is the funniest thing any of us heard all day. All day. That's hysterical. Um, (laughs) Marge calling for decorum. Oh, please. Please. By the way, um, yeah, I was going to play that. I don't think I will. Um, I, I, you know, I, I have a file. I do a search in my, where I save videos and things. Um, and I did a search for DeSantis just to see what comes up. And there's so much that's offensive here. But I did make a statement earlier about Casey DeSantis. And Casey DeSantis is a terrible, horrible excuse for a human being. So let me just say, if you are uh, somebody who... Um, 
you get sick, right? Say you have cancer. And I can relate because a couple of years, five years, six years ago, I had, I had uh, lung cancer. My husband took me to every doctor's appointment, held my hand through every test, sat with me as I stressed over waiting for the results to come back because the waiting is the hardest part. And he did that because he's my husband and he loves me. And that's what you do when you have a spouse. You're there for them. Well, I tell you this uh, to set you up to, well, to set up this ad that ran as Ron was running for governor because Casey had breast cancer. Right. So listen to this ad they put up. He's the kid who grew up right here in Florida. What, whoops, so wait, hold on. Let me start it from I the beginning. I get asked all the time. Yeah. Who is Ron DeSantis? Who is Ron He's DeSantis? He's the kid who grew up right here in Florida, working his tail off, paying his own way through school, yeah. and volunteering to serve in the Navy and deploying to Yeah, Iraq. we can talk about that. He's the man who I fell uh-huh. in love with from the moment we uh-huh. met. Uh-huh. Okay. He's the dad of three very rambunctious, energetic children. Mimi, yeah, our two-year-old that you pimped out and Trump. Madison, our beautiful, sweet five-year-old. And Mason, Regalia. our four-year-old athlete. Okay, now. If you want to know who Ron DeSantis really is. Yeah, cry, Casey. Come on, cry. When I was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And I was facing the battle for my life. Uh-huh. He was the dad who took care of my children when I couldn't. He's there. They're he his there children, to too. The ground when I literally could not stand. That's his job. He was there to fight for me when I didn't have the strength to fight for myself. Uh-huh. That's what a husband that does. Is who Ron DeSantis is. So we should vote for him because he did what a husband should do when his wife has cancer, took care of her and took care of their kids. They're his children, too. Casey. You don't get extra points for that. That's doing your job. All right. Tomorrow, keep a good thought that Boca Brittany Summers is feeling well because she will join us in the studio if she is. All right. So uh, fingers crossed. I'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.